Chapter 11 At one o'clock, after enjoying a friendly communal meal in the eating hall, the genuinely lovely Lashara led me along an outside hallway to go meet again with El Maestro, taking me at a good pace along an arched inner passageway and finally into a large wood-paneled room, the high back wall of which was all glass and looked out onto a secluded, shady garden. The room itself was mostly empty except for a sofa and three comfortable chairs on a thick throw rug, all facing a three-foot-high granite boulder over in the far corner. The boulder had a thick red velvet cloth on its mostly flat top, and on the cloth, like a nagging deja vu, was the jade piece. Glancing at that thing again, I got hit unexpectedly with a hot, melting sensation down in my solar plexus. As I came to a stop and turned to Lashi, she looked ready to say something urgent to me. But instead, she turned abruptly away from me and walked back out of the room, closing the door quietly behind her. I just stood there. The thought came to me, almost as a gut laugh, that this situation was definitely not boring. I'd been yearning for weeks to head south on vacation and tap into a flow outside of academia, and now here I was, standing in this room, all alone, awaiting what? The glass door from the garden slid open and in walked El Maestro, sporting a fairly friendly smile. He paused ten feet from me and turned to gaze at the jade piece. I did the same, looking back over there too. And again, I felt that strange fleeting liquid sensation in my chest. So you can feel it, Michael said to me in his deep voice. But before all that, please come outside. The garden space was fairly compact, with an overgrown hedge and an ancient adobe wall here and there all around us. A tiny stream ran through the garden, feeding into a small goldfish pond. In the other corner, I saw a dozen or so volcanic stones scattered here and there on a grassy lawn. The stones were fairly round, for the most part, ranging from golf ball size to bigger than a softball. Michael walked over and picked up one of the biggest stones, and with a smooth, sudden movement, launched the rock high up through the air right toward me. I reacted without thinking and caught the thing with my fingers and palms in midair, surprising myself with the precise physical act, and without thinking, feeling slightly attacked and therefore angry at the exchange, I tossed the black sphere right back to him, fairly hard. He caught it effortlessly and placed it back on the ground with the others. So, Jack, please, if you will, por favor, Choose for yourself one of these rocks, consider them all, and then find the one that feels just right in your hands. It's time for you to know directly the feel of Atitlan. Take a few minutes, pick up the one that's flirting with you, and bring back inside with you the stone you've identified as yours. 
His big body turned and disappeared inside. I stood still a moment, feeling like I was on the edge of something I wasn't sure I wanted any part of. But hey, what the hell. I went over and looked at each of the round rocks in turn. They were all volcanic, some smooth like they'd been washed and tumbled by waves for a thousand years, while others were rough and porous. I reached down to pick up one of them, but then hesitated, stood upright again, and continued looking. Well, yeah. One particular stone did keep drawing my attention. A psychologist friend of my dad, Arnold Mindell, a genius professor up at Oregon, had taught that the whole universe runs on the power of mutual attraction, and that all matter is somehow intelligent and conscious. So in that regard, I could somewhat understand Michael's assignment to focus and see if any of these bundles of rock energy were flirting with me. Telling myself to keep an open mind, I walked over and picked up the rock that seemed to be attracting me. It was smooth, the size of a softball, but heavy. I tossed it up into the air and caught it several times. Then I went back up the steps and into the cool, dark shadows of the room, stone in hand. There was Michael's grain ponytail and the back of his broad shoulders. He was standing over in the corner where the boulder shrine was positioned. This is the one, I said. He jerked and jumped as if I'd given him an electric shock. Please, quiet. He turned back to the shrine and continued with his fixation upon the upright phallus. I suspected that he'd put himself into some sort of trance state. He was now breathing more and more loudly, standing with his legs wide apart, arms rigid, fingers spread as if ready to lurch forward and grab the carving. His head kept shaking back and forth slightly from side to side, making his ponytail wag back and forth. And now he was making a low animal sound, louder and louder, like a big cat growling from the depths of a cave. Then suddenly he let out such a loud yelp that I jumped back and dropped my rock right on my bare left foot. That pain made me yelp out loud too, and at that sound Michael spun around. The man I saw staring at me was not at all the normal Michael. His eyes were bugging and vague. His mouth was slack with some interior terror. He just stood there, trying to inhale, his mouth wide open, eyes unseeing. Then he turned abruptly away from me and walked in slow motion out the open glass door. As I watched him walking outside onto the grass, I saw his big body suddenly seem to lose its sense of balance. He collapsed and fell heavily, face forward and down hard, onto the lawn. Suspecting he'd had a heart attack, and knowing that getting experienced help fast could be key, I turned and ran in the other direction, out from the room to the courtyard, where I literally ran right into Lashi, who was standing just outside, as if waiting. She grabbed my arm. What has happened? 
Could be a heart attack, I said. She pushed past me and went running toward him. We found him sitting up by the time we got there. She knelt in front of him, taking his face gently in her hands, looking directly into his still-glazed eyes. Michael, speak to me. What's happened? Do you need a doctor? Doctor, no. I need God. She turned to me. Go, get him a glass of water. A few minutes later, when I returned with the glass, they were sitting without moving on the steps of the garden. She was holding one of his hands, and he was just staring out into the greenery. I handed him the water. When he glanced up at me, his eyes had no energy. They put up no defenses, nothing to keep me from seeing into the totally shaken emotional depths of him. He drank several big gulps of the water and then handed the glass back to me, his hand shaking. Then he turned to Lashara. I'm cold. Warm me, please. You can go, she said to me. Walking off through the session room, I paused and stared at the jade piece. So you clobbered El Maestro, I muttered at the thing. Glancing out through the window into the small garden, I saw Lashara sitting there with Michael, but her head was turned and she was looking directly at me. I shrugged my shoulders, bent down and picked up the rock that I dropped on my toe, and headed off toward the courtyard. Outside, on the big back lawn, I slumped into a comfy chair. I must have dozed off because when I opened my eyes, the sunlight was mostly gone and there was a slight coolness in the air. I sat there and watched several of El Maestro's students coming and going about their own quiet meditative business. I got up and went to pee, then returned and settled in again, feeling zero impulse to do anything but just sit and hope Mahi would appear at any moment and shift this whole situation into focus. A bit later, I saw Lashara coming in my direction, carrying a tray with two drinks and some chips and guacamole. She lowered the tray as if in slow motion onto a small round bamboo and glass table at my side, and then gracefully sat down in the woven bamboo chair on the other side of the table. Beer, she offered. There was a peace unto the land just then in the gardens of El Maestro, breeze overhead rustling a shivering mirage of green mango leaves. Each time I glanced her way, Lashi met my eyes. So is he better? I finally asked. Yes, this has happened three times before, she told me evenly in her gracefully accented tones. I was anticipating something. You saw me outside waiting. He was feeling low this morning, and I have never before known him to feel even slightly lost. She paused, her eyes caught by the mesmerizing high-circling spiral of some big hawk who was having the time of her life in an invisible thermal flow way up above us. Ever since we found you last night, she was now saying to me, and he acquired the jade. 
He has been feeling and acting, well, as you perhaps might say in your language, unusually intense. Um, listen to me, Lashi. Maybe you and I, we should just go and throw that damn thing back in the lake and be done with it. That'll put an end to all of this. No, no. Just the opposite is planned to end this particular day, on this particular planet, on this particular highland lake. We must wake up and act with courage. El Maestro needs you to accompany the two of us tonight, the three of us forming with our pulsing hearts and force of breath, the eternal Mayan triangle, as he again dares to approach the stone. Well, I must say that takes balls, I said. This is what El Maestro he has in abundance, she told me. This is his blessing and his curse. His eyes are sometimes, for me, the eyes of the gods. Well, I know a bit of the shaman thing, I said. It can drive a person crazy, even if on certain levels it's what's really real. Mike's perhaps too intense for his own good or for ours. Living intensely, she said hotly back at me. This is not insanity. Michael will tonight attempt to perform something extremely challenging, a ritual that Mahalena would be the natural one to lead us through. Without her presence, you yourself will need to focus your mind and soul and intent properly, so as to awaken the higher realms. Come on, Lashi, that's all just talk. I've been surrounded all my life with people who talk the talk. Walking it is another thing altogether. But, she said, you will come tonight? I am being honest with you, Jack. I need you. For me, will you participate? I met her eyes. She was an extraordinary woman. Hey, I told her wanting to be the strong guy she was needing. I wouldn't miss El Maestro doing his thing for anything. Please, Jack, this is no game. Artifacts such as the Jade, they most definitely carry the intent of their creators. But I must admit, I'm at my breaking point, and sometimes I so very hotly hate that crazy stone dick. But you must know, I love Michael. And therefore, I fear for him. Well, regarding the jade, I assured her, Mahi seems to relate to the piece positively. You were with her when she took it? Yeah, I said. And I also saw the way she held it afterward. And her grandfather, too. They didn't get hit by it like Michael did. But tell me, I'm going a bit crazy myself here. Do you, um, think Mahi still might show up today? She looked right into my eyes. No, of course not. That would be far too dangerous. But Mahi has many friends on the lake. There is an underground brotherhood, a sisterhood, a tribal sense of community down here. But tell me, is it true? Are you in love with her? Yeah. Who wouldn't be? Maestro, she told me, 
remains certain that if she appears in time to do the portal ceremony three days from now, we shall open a dimension that absolutely must be released at this moment, this week, into human history. And tonight, please, whatever might happen, don't deny the experience that comes to you. And you must not judge me or what I do. I shall be serving you, serving her, serving El Maestro with my whole living body. We are just now approaching the exact celestial conjunction where spirituality and sexuality, male and female in the flesh, must attract and merge and ignite the ultimate flash. So you really trust him to pull off this thing he seems so hell-bent to try? Maestro is my lover, she said, and my teacher and my shaman. I am in receive mode. Well, ever since I met Mahi, I told her, I feel like I have somehow slipped into some subtle, lucid dream. She just naturally does that to me. Love has brought you right here, right now, and tonight we are going to find out, once and for all, what comes of following one's heart rather than one's mind. My heart is so thankful, she said, meeting my eyes steadily, that you have, as if by magic, appeared here to help. The shamanic reality remains intense. Please, trust, open up, merge the twin worlds, and flow with me tonight. I had a girlfriend, I told her. She was a psilocybin guide. She took me on three lucid trips, and yeah, they were more real than this is real right here. I know the flow. I seem to have an affinity for it. My mom told me recently that I was conceived on shrooms. Ah, she said quietly, and I myself was born like your Mahi, somehow within the shamanic mindset. But I am only now beginning to explore the deeper realms. And now, if you will excuse me, I have certain things to go do before the sun sets. She reached over and touched my hand with her fingers lightly, and then she was walking with her almost dancing gait across the sloping lawn and off into a dark walkway. The chill chocomil breeze soon drove me inside. I found my backpack returned and my clothes freshly laundered and folded, a bouquet of flowers adorned the chest of drawers by the window. I reached for my sweater. It was the same one Mahi had worn in Mexico when the evening chill touched her. Where was she now? I lay down on the narrow bed, wondering if she was okay, wondering what I could do to find her, and what it would be like to be with her again. I must have dozed. The next thing I knew, someone was banging on my door. Jack, are you there? Um, yeah, I muttered. I sat up. Mike walked in. He closed the door behind him, then pulled up a chair. You're better, I asked? Yes, 
But now that I've seen certain, well, things, we must proceed slightly differently. The jade piece, it's been perhaps programmed to be accessed only by the feminine. Mahi, of course, she's the ideal. But for these initial steps, Lashi has agreed to serve as the female channel. He glowered at me a moment, then stood up and paced the room. Jack, he admitted, when I tuned in to the ancient presence emanating from the phallus, I must admit that what knocked me down was my own ego. It seems that I've finally been humbled. For many years I've been serving as the powerful one, but now I've been kicked right in my balls and suddenly removed from dominance. You must see by now, he went on, that this is a four-generation family drama unfolding down here, and our entanglement, it has become strangely convoluted. My son and my daughter, my father, my mother, and now you've also entered into our family universe. And for myself, I admit I am caught up in too much male muck. Therefore, it's essential for you to participate with Lashi tonight. Just relax and let me help you remember who you are. He sat down heavily again on the chair. Of course, you naturally fear to enter dimensions beyond those you currently know. We all fear to experience being vastly more than our mundane egos can imagine or control. But this whole no-kalito thing I complained, playing into old-time demon possession games isn't exactly an easy thing for me to do. But he said, parallel identities aren't in any way demonic. This is your path to Mahi and I know an entirely safe way for you to open. Can I teach you now how this is done? All you do is lie down and let yourself begin to relax here on the bed. When you're ready, you can close your eyes. Yes. And now turn your awareness fully toward your breathing. Feel the air flowing in and out through your nose. And now expand your awareness to also include the feelings in your feet, in your hands, your whole body here in this present moment. You're entirely safe here completely at peace. And now you can also just continue to passively listen to the sound of my voice, of my words, coming and going. All fear is dissolving and gone. Everything feels good and calm and secure. As you begin gently moving toward home again. As you begin to let yourself wake up from your dream of everyday life. And start remembering who you really are 
deep down. Let yourself remember that you are ancient, you are eternal, and you can now remember that your name is Nokalito, and it's time for you to wake up, Nokalito. Look inward and remember your own true self. Good. And now, Nokalito, you can allow your breathing to deepen. Feel your next inhale flow in and fill you. And your next exhale going all the way down to the bottom. Who knows how much time went by as I listened to the deep drum-like pounding of my heart beating. Hands suddenly clapped. Nocalito, someone said in a commanding voice. Nocalito, breathe. Hands clapped again, and my eyes popped open, and I found myself looking into the forceful, friendly face of a man I felt I knew to the depths. He extended his hands with a deep, knowing smile. Welcome, Nocalito. You are free to sit up now. As I came upright on the bed, my hands moved of their own volition toward his, and as we connected skin to skin, I felt immense tenderness in his touch. This is good, very good, he was saying. And now we should go. The access ceremony has already begun. Are you ready? The question didn't quite make sense, but he was waiting. I nodded my head, knowing he was trustworthy. Holding my left hand in his right, he guided me out of the room and down an open exterior hallway. Everything was vivid and illumined. The scent in the air was warm and familiar. I felt very tall. Three people came walking toward us along the passageway. They were dressed quite strangely, and their expressions and energy auras were not familiar to me. I felt jolted as they passed us without giving me the proper acknowledgement. Instead, they looked quickly away. My host continued guiding me along the cool tiles. We walked around a courtyard and then down a dimly lit passageway into a large room. I noticed a young woman sitting cross-legged in the middle of a rug as candles flickered in the periphery. Her eyes were closed and she was without a robe, holding the jade phallus in her lap with its noble blue-green erection pointing upward. My host brought me to a stop several feet to the side of the woman, and we watched as she lifted the jade piece ceremoniously up and away from her. She was immensely beautiful, and obviously far gone into her ceremonial trance. Her expression revealed utter contemplative dedication. I felt pleased with her. A subtle flow of turquoise energy now became visible to me, emanating from the tip of the phallus and flowing directly up toward the woman's face, entering and filling her cranium with translucent light. 
The woman was slowly lowering the jade piece, her expression that of serene ecstasy. Just as her eyes opened, the man beside me touched my left arm and guided me over to sit down on the rug facing the woman. I gazed into her eyes and found myself being pulled energetically toward her naked essence, and I entered into a most blissful state. Suddenly she moved with her hand toward me, and I felt the weight of the ceremonial piece come into my lap. Her fingers let go of the piece, and it toppled and started to fall off my lap, but I caught it with my fingers and brought it upright. With a pleasurable jolt, I felt the woman's fingers softly gripping my fingers that were gripping the jade member. And right then, as we connected through our fingertips, my whole body grew more erect, my spine awakening, coming alive through some special energy flowing up into my body from deep within the innards of the earth. And at that same moment, I experienced a flash of hot lightning shooting down from the heavens. Instantly, my spine from top to bottom became suffused with that same soft turquoise spirit I'd seen earlier flowing into the woman's head. Right then, she suddenly screamed and at the same time gripped my fingers and the jade piece so hard I cried out with a most curious guttural sound. And then the woman's body started shivering as she stared strangely at me. For the first time tonight, I felt that she had recognized who I was. Also, my mind was vaguely beginning to remember what we were going to do next together with the jade piece. The shivering of her naked body stopped suddenly, and she was now glaring at me, seeming to become quite angry, deranged, crazy, and with a loud, defiant shriek, she moved very quickly, grabbed the jade piece, and threw it across the room. It banged hard against the wood wall and fell down onto the floor. She stared at the thing a moment, then turned her head back to look at me with pleading eyes, as if begging me for something. And then, with an anguished bleeding, she came involuntarily forward and collapsed into my arms. In the periphery of my vision, I saw the big man move. He hurried over to pick up the carving, glanced at the woman with a most harsh expression, then walked over to the low granite altar and placed the holy piece upon its ceremonial blue cloth. The man quickly took off his shirt and then his pants. Picking up a thick, short stick, he began beating out a slow, regular rhythm on a stand-up drum. The drum was large. Each sound it made when pounded upon began with a high pitch that very rapidly dropped off into a deep tone that in turn dropped away into nothingness just as the man hit the drum again. Coming alive in my arms, the woman began to make slight rhythmic movements with the beat. I could feel her heart beating against my breast and my heart responding with a flush of vibrant heat that flowed downward. 
I could now feel my own erection rising up toward her. But right then she screamed again, and it was a different scream this time, a defiant cry of outrage. She pushed back from me violently and stood upright, staring over at the drummer a moment and then back at me. Jack, she muttered, I'm gone. I've fallen from the trance, and without me, he, we must stop him. Her words meant nothing to me. The drumbeat was becoming louder, the pace faster. I felt the pulsation pumping throughout my body, penetrating right to my core. I looked at the woman standing there beside me, and the sight of her lips, her breasts, her belly, and the pubic hair, the whole vision of her, flowed into me and triggered a massive upsurge of sexual energy as the drumming became even more intense, overwhelming my sensibilities, focusing my unstoppable intent toward this naked woman before me. But... Rather than opening to me as I expected, the woman was now clenching her fists as if to strike. She spun around to face the drummer. Michael, stop, she shouted. This isn't supposed to be sexual. You're completely off the mark. Stop that drumming. She went running over toward the man, leaping into the air, grabbing him violently, pushing him away from the drum and against the wall. This is wrong, you promised me, she shouted at the top of her lungs. The man, still half in trance, growled vaguely at her and pushed her back. You listen to me. We will complete this ceremony. Sit down. She stared back into the naked giant's face. Then she seemed to wilt. She went and sat down on the rug not meeting my eyes. The man made a move to the altar and came back toward us with the phallus in one hand and something shiny black in his other hand. You must now cut, he said to her, the blood of Nokalito on the stone. In this situation, it is absolutely required. Do this for Mahalena. Do it now for us all. I realized he was holding a ceremonial obsidian knife in his hand. No, Michael, she said. It's the old way. We must have Mahalena. The man sat down with the two of us. Then I asked Nokalito. For Mahi's sake, he said to me, you must help me perform this essential step. Obey me. Close your eyes. I closed my eyes. The mention of Mahi's name had awakened something that was now pushing in at me, calling to me, evoking images not of the naked woman here with me, but of Mahi herself. Then things got even more confusing, because a rush of thoughts began flowing through my mind, strange thoughts unlike any I'd ever thought before. They were the thoughts of some other human being, saying, Come on, snap out of this. Don't allow him to cut you. It's pagan. It's fucking crazy. My eyes flashed open, and I popped suddenly out of the trance. 
El Maestro was gripping my still half-erect penis with his left hand and holding the black obsidian knife on the ready in his other hand. What the fuck, I muttered at him, and at the same time my left hand flashed out and grabbed his hand that was holding the fucking knife, and there we were, frozen together. You must discipline yourself, he muttered. This ceremony of the blood is the only way without Mahalena. Lashi's voice cut through the psychic thickness of the air. Michael, she shouted at him, remember what you said to me this morning. There must not be blood. Michael, look here, look at me, wake up. Her words seemed to have some sort of power over him. As he looked toward her, I saw his expression begin to shift, to slacken and turn to mush as his wild man mask wilted and dropped away. He sat there staring into Lashi's eyes. Then he looked down and stared for a very long moment at my hand gripping his hand and the knife he was still holding. He slowly raised his eyes and looked blankly right into me, and I saw his inner glow suddenly switch off and disappear altogether. His fingers relaxed their grip on my penis, and at the same time he let go of the knife, and it fell onto the rug without a sound. El Maestro exhaled with a grunt as if someone had punched him in the gut, and then with no warning at all, his body seemed to just give up the spirit. He collapsed downward with the full force of gravity, pulling him flat onto the rug. Lashi moved fast. She went down onto the rug with him, talking softly while she gently caressed his face as if she was his mother. I just sat there staring at the two of them. I felt my regular sense of who I was starting to flow back into my awareness. I stood up and, just for one moment, stared down at the two of them on the rug. Then I turned and walked out along the dark passage and on out into the cool night air. I hurried across the vaguely lit courtyard to my own room, quickly changed into my regular clothes and hiking boots, stuffed my things into the backpack, noticed the round rock I'd chosen earlier in the day, and reached for it, and then holding it in my hand as a weapon, as my safe passage to freedom, I headed out of the room. As I passed the communal meditation room, I glanced in and saw a dozen people peacefully contemplating their navels or whatever. I almost burst in to warn them about their supposed master, but I didn't want to pause even long enough for that. I wanted out and out fast. In the moonlight, I found the outer gate, but it was still locked. I ran alongside the wall until I found a branch where I could climb up and reach to the top of the wall. I stood upright on the wall, looking back into the seemingly peaceful compound, looked the other direction at a dirt road, then jumped down into the darkness outside the wall.